0: We'll turn with me to the Gospel of John, Gospel of John in chapter 7. We began this series back uh, the first week of this year, and uh, here we are in chapter 7 now. We began looking at chapter 7 last week, as we just uh, take our time and go through this wonderful Gospel of John, uh, verse by verse, section by section. And if you've been uh, paying attention, of course, uh, the the time of uh, year that we're in, if I asked you what time of year was was you would uh, I don't know if you would say fall or what what you would say but but we're absolutely in the middle of a political season aren't we uh, It seems like we've been in a political season for the last how many years now Has it been? Um, my word, it, uh, politics is crazy around us, right? And I'm not getting into politics this morning, but we are in the middle of a political season, and and here we are nearing November when the elections will occur. And if you're paying attention, uh, actually, you don't even have to pay attention. If you just drive around, you'll notice there's signs everywhere, those little signs stuck in yards everywhere for the political candidates. And and you can't go anywhere without seeing those signs stuck in the ground everywhere. And if I were foolish enough to, uh, to ask you this morning what you think of the candidates, I'm not asking you that, okay? But if I were foolish enough to ask you what you think of the candidates, you would probably have something to tell me. Uh, Some of you would, at least, would have some things to say about some of the candidates. I'm not doing that. Uh, But you have opinions, right? We all have opinions. We live in this world. We see what's going on. We have opinions about what's going on. We have opinions about political candidates. But ultimately, uh, think of this. For most of us, what we think of those political leaders likely doesn't, uh, what you think of them doesn't cause much change, does it? Yes, you get a vote, and you get to vote, and I encourage you to vote. And here I also encourage you, while I'm on the topic, you need to be shaped in your thinking and how you choose to vote by God's Word. God's Word should be helping you learn how to vote. So uh, think biblically about casting your vote, but do cast a vote. It's a privilege as a believer to get to do that in the United States, and we ought not neglect that privilege. God is in control. And we trust God to be at work in those leaders who get elected. So we pray for our political leaders. We should pray for them, whether we agree with them or not. And here's what I pray. I pray that God will save them if they're not saved, and God will influence their thinking so that they'll make God-honoring decisions, and decisions that make it possible for us to keep advancing the gospel, because the church is the answer for the world that we live in. So if I asked you about political leaders, you'd have opinions, but really those opinions... Don't change much, do they? And you might say, well, they, they probably don't mean much if they can't change much. Or well, how about we change the subject? What if I were to ask you about uh, Cleveland beating the New York Yankees last night, right? Again. And um, if you're a Cleveland fan, you're hoping that they make it to the World Series. That'd be something, wouldn't it? And if I were to ask you your opinion about that, it'd be fine for you to share your opinion with me about that, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't change whether, whether Cleveland's going to make it to the World Series or not, right? So you have opinions about all kinds of things, as do I. And sometimes those opinions don't really mean much. They really can't affect much change. I'm not saying that to discourage you, but I am making a point here, and I'm going to get to it. There is, there is someone in particular that your opinion matters about. There is one man in particular of whom your opinion does, does really matter. And what you think of this man, and especially what you believe about him, matters. Uh, it matters for today, in fact. It matters for this week. It matters for your life. It matters for all of eternity. And of course, the man I'm speaking of is Jesus. It matters what you think of Jesus. In the passage we're looking at this morning, we find people who had their own opinions about Jesus. And as we look at this passage together today, it should make you stop and evaluate, evaluate and think about what you think of Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? It matters what you believe about Jesus. It matters for you. It matters for those around you. It matters for your, for your family what you think of Jesus. In fact, this is a good time to remind you that this is the purpose for which the Apostle John wrote this gospel. This whole gospel, written by the Apostle John for this purpose, and and near the end of the book, he says it this way in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It's his purpose for writing. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing... You may have life in his name. There's a clue right there as to why it's important what you think of Jesus, what your opinion of Jesus is, what you believe about him. Is it important what you think of and believe about Jesus? It most certainly is. So I sent you to John chapter 7. Let's look together at the text before us here this morning. Follow along in your Bible. As I read, I'm going to begin reading at verse 10, and, and read through verse 13. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. John 7, verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, speaking of Jesus' half-brothers, and then speaking of Jesus next, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now, we noted it last week that God's ways are not our ways. When I look back over my life (laughs) and I think about how many things I've really um, messed up in my lifetime, I think how grateful I am that God's ways are not my ways. Because God does nothing wrong. He does everything right. He does everything for a purpose You know, the world's ways are not the ways of Jesus, and God doesn't choose to do things the way the world wants God to do them. He doesn't do things the way we ask him to do things at times, and that's a good thing. We ought to be grateful for that because God is all-wise. We noted it last time, Jesus would not go about things the way his unbelieving brothers would. He wasn't going to do what they were suggesting. It was not yet time for Jesus to face the kind of opposition that would eventually lead to his crucifixion. So when they said, hey, go up to the feast, the feast of booths, so or the feast of tabernacles, go up with us, go, go and show them more signs that you might gain more followers. Jesus said, no, it's not, it's not time for me to do that yet. I'm not going to go up with you. But here in the passage before us, we see him going in private. So we see there in verse 10, Jesus going up to the feast, but he didn't go publicly. He didn't go in a way that would draw attention to himself. Back in verses 3 and 4, Jesus' brothers had suggested something very different. Again, God doesn't work the way we do. Jesus wasn't going to work the way his brothers were suggesting. They said, verse 3, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus, you need to make a big entrance. You're losing followers. You need to gain more. I'm guessing that's what his brothers were thinking. If his brothers were suggesting that he should go up to the feast publicly and show everyone the miracles he could perform, why did he go privately as verse 10 says? And we saw the answer to that question last week in verse 5. And really, when you think of what we see there in verse 5, it was kind of a solemn note that we heard sounded there when it says there that not even his brothers believed in him. And we stand back and we look at the, uh, the Bible that you hold in your hands and you read all about Jesus and you think, what was wrong with them? What was wrong with him? Why, why, why didn't his brothers believe in him? But, but we weren't there. And of course, they didn't have the completed New Testament in their hands. Even his own brothers hadn't believed in him. So in the world's way, in an unbelieving way, the way to get followers is to show people what you can do. That's what his brothers were thinking. But again, this was not the way Jesus would go up to the feast. He would only go up at the proper time. Jesus would only go up in the proper way. He wasn't going to circumvent God the Father's plan and timing. So how does Jesus now go up to the feast? He goes privately. Meaning that he's not going up with a large group of his followers. He's going to the feast discreetly, so he doesn't attract unnecessary attention. And verse 11 shows the wisdom of Jesus going up to the feast privately because the Jews, and in this case it means his enemies, the ruling Jewish authorities, they were looking for him. They were watching for him. They were waiting for him. They expected him. Now, why were they looking for Jesus? Well, they wanted to finally find him outside of Galilee, outside the authority and jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. And and they hoped to find some reason, some, some evidence they could use against him, that they could use to expedite doing away with him. They wanted to kill him. But in the sovereign wisdom of God... And remember, Jesus is God in human flesh. In the sovereign wisdom of Jesus, He did not go up to the feast publicly because it was not yet time for Him to face the kind of severe opposition of those who sought to kill Him that would ultimately lead Him to the cross and to His death. Jesus does all things at the appointed time, at the right time. So now, note that verse 12 shows us that there are other people who are confused about Jesus. Some aren't so clearly opposed to Jesus as they are curious about him. Verse 12, And there, were, and there was much muttering about him among the people. What were they saying? Well, well, while some said he is a good man, others said no, he is leading the people astray. Why were they muttering about Jesus? Muttering. (laughs) Note that this isn't so much complaining about Jesus as it was quiet discussion. Quiet discussion about him for fear of being overheard. They were talking about him, but they didn't want anyone to hear hear them talking about him. So why the confusion? Why the discussion? Why, Why the debating about Jesus? It says here that some believe that Jesus was a good man. This makes sense uh, since some of uh, these people had likely witnessed miracles themselves that Jesus had done. Uh, Many of them had heard others testify of the miracles they had seen. And just because they're debating about Jesus, we need to realize here that it doesn't mean that they have wholehearted belief in him They're discussing him, but it doesn't necessarily mean they've believed in him. But some knew enough about Jesus to think, He's good. I mean, look at what he does. He's good. How can he be bad? Look at what he's been doing. Now we might ask, is that true? Is Jesus good? Is Jesus good? Yes, he is. Yes, Jesus is good. It is true. Jesus is and was a good man. But is that the whole truth? Is that really what people need to believe about Jesus, that he was good? That's not the whole truth, is it? Jesus is much more than simply a good man. He's much more. Jesus was the God-man. He was God in human flesh. He was God's representation of himself to mankind. He's God in human flesh. In, In just One of many occasions, we'll see it when we get to John 11, that when speaking to Martha, Jesus' claims are such that He makes it clear that He is God. Listen to the passage from John 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, "...I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live." And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Back to the beginning of that. I am the resurrection and the life. If this is true, and it is, then Jesus is far more than just a good man. But if this were not true, then he wasn't even a good man, he was a deceiver. But Jesus was no deceiver. He was God in human flesh. He was God, again, representing himself to mankind. And so these people here in John 7, they're debating about whether Jesus was a good man or whether he's deceiving people, whether he's leading the people astray. These people were quietly voicing their opinions and debating about Jesus. And some thought that Jesus may have done some miracles, but he certainly can't be speaking for God. He must be setting up some devious plan. And because of this same belief among the Jewish authorities, there were some, as we learned back in verse 1, who were seeking to kill Jesus. They thought Jesus was dangerous. And they thought Jesus needed to be removed. Now the reality of this threat to Jesus' life and the threat to those who spoke openly about Jesus is clear here in verse 13 where it says of these people in the crowds that they were afraid to speak these things openly. Why? It says, For fear of the Jews. Was the threat to Jesus' life real? Yes. It was so real that it was dangerous even for people to speak of Jesus. And we'll see that Jesus says it too, that they're seeking to kill him when we get to verse 19. But this was not a new threat. Months earlier, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, as we saw back in John 5 and verse 16, that the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he had the nerve to heal a man on the Sabbath. So why the confusion about Jesus we see here in John 7? Why the murmuring? Well, the debate over Jesus wasn't caused because of a lack of clarity on his part. You need to note that. It wasn't as if Jesus was obfuscating the truth. It wasn't as if he was hiding the truth. The debate over Jesus is because of a lack of faith. A lack of belief in him. The confusion over Jesus is a lack of belief in the message of Jesus. You see, wherever Jesus went, he taught. He preached, he proclaimed truth. Well, so, was there some shortcoming in what Jesus taught? Or, or was his teaching style such that it was too confusing for them? No, no, no. It wasn't some shortcoming in Jesus' teaching. It wasn't some shortcoming in his teaching style. No, no. Where where there's confusion about who Jesus is, the root cause is always unbelief. The cause of confusion is not Jesus. It's a lack of faith in Jesus. In fact, that's what we saw back in chapter 6, And verse 60, when many of those who were following Jesus from place to place, witnessing his miracles, listening to his teaching, when he called for wholehearted devotion to him, wholehearted belief and faith in him, they said, verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And it wasn't then, back in chapter 6, as though they couldn't understand him, It was that they didn't want to believe him. That's what made that a hard saying. Romans 8, 7, in fact, explains this kind of response when it says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit. Now that could also be said of this crowd here in John 7. If your heart is fixed on the flesh, if, if you can only think about you and what, what you can get for here and now, if you're only thinking about how you can get ahead, and you're ignoring all the other input, if you're hearing the truth of the gospel and you're saying, yes, but not now, later I'll think about that, because I want here and now, if your mind is set on the flesh, you are in fact are hostile to God. If you refuse to hear the truth, if you refuse to, to pay attention to the truth and hear the truth, you're, you're hostile to God. As Romans 8, 7 says, For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. That's what's going on here in John 7. These people are like the Gentiles of whom... Ephesians 4.18 speaks, saying, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why? Due to their hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. This is why I say it is important what you think of Jesus. It is important today what you believe about Jesus. Is your heart hardened against the truth? It's possible for you to actually be here in this room singing the songs, maybe even having a Bible open in your lap, and yet have a heart that's hardened against the truth of God's Word. You see, there is a heart disease that is worse than any other, and it is the hardness of heart that the Bible speaks of. Hardness of heart keeps you trapped in spiritual death. Hardness of heart and a refusal to repent of sin and believe in Jesus ultimately results in the just judgment of God and separation from God in hell for all of eternity. The Bible teaches that plainly. And yet, many people with hard hearts will stiff-arm the truth will reject the truth because they are living for here and now. Their hearts and minds are fixed on the flesh. And in fact, people who refuse to believe like the people in this crowd trying to decide who Jesus is are like those of whom 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 makes clear, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Look to Jesus and live. believe in Jesus, repent of your sin, turn from sin, turn to Christ in faith. Look to Jesus and live. But there are many who are being blinded by the God of this world, that's Satan because they're they're too fixed on the flesh, they're too fixed on the here and now, they're too fixed on what they can get for themselves. Refusing to hear the truth of the gospel, having minds that are blinded, who are being kept from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Confusion about who Jesus is is the result of a lack of belief, a lack of faith. It is spiritual blindness. And it's a refusal to believe when presented with the truth. Now look at verse 13 again. Verse 13 says, Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. None of this muttering or murmuring, or debate about who Jesus is was done openly. Because people were afraid of the ruling Jews. They were afraid of the priests and the scribes. Why? Because it was a dangerous thing to name the name of Jesus openly. We've noted it already. We see it in verse 1 here in John 7. Jesus would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. I noted it last week. It wasn't that Jesus was afraid of facing what he would eventually face. It was not time yet. But this is the fact. They were seeking to kill him. And the Jewish authorities were out to kill Jesus, and they didn't just want to silence Jesus. They wanted to be done with him once and for all. And if you aligned yourself with Jesus, this was dangerous territory. If you spoke in favor of Jesus, that was dangerous. In fact, even speaking about Jesus openly was dangerous. You didn't have to even speak in support of Jesus. If you just name the name of Jesus, just talk about Jesus, that was dangerous. That was risky. And so these people were murmuring quietly amongst themselves, And verse 13, yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. You see, the authorities didn't want Jesus' followers encouraged in their belief in him. They also didn't want even those who didn't believe in Jesus speaking his name for fear of giving Jesus more credibility. You know, it's been said that the only bad publicity is no publicity. Well, that's, that's what the Jewish leaders believed, so they didn't want anyone speaking about Jesus at all, good or bad. You know that this is still the way of Satan today? Satan is a deceiver, the father of lies. This is still the way of Satan, the deceiver today. Naming the name of Jesus is politically incorrect, Suggesting that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life is a risky and dangerous thing to say in public if you want to keep your job in some places. Make it a threatening thing for people to name the name of Jesus and you silence the teaching of Jesus. Silence believers in public for supporting the truths of the gospel, for speaking the truth of the Bible. And you silence the teachings of Jesus. Silence believers in Jesus from speaking of faith in Jesus being the only way to forgiveness of sins. And you silence the truth behind the name of Jesus. We saw it last time when we noted what Jesus says in verse 7. The world hates Jesus because he testifies about it that its works are evil. The, wor- the reason the world hates Jesus and even hates the name of Jesus is because Jesus speaks out against sin. And in the day in which we live, how dare the church speak out against sin? The world is fine if we'll keep the teaching of the Bible inside these four walls and refuse to confront the world in their sin. And refuse to point at things that are going on in public that are an affront to God and that people of good, good sense ought to be ashamed of. And speak the truth of the Bible and say, God's word says this is sin. And you will be silenced. You will be shamed. Or as we saw recently in some articles written about pastors who signed a letter to the mayor challenging the transvestite show that would go on on the Chardon Square this past summer, the so-called drag show, drag queen show, that should not have gone on in public, shouldn't go on in private either, but shouldn't have gone on in public, and shouldn't have been billed as a family event. What happens? Religious people, even religious people, will write articles saying that those pastors who signed that are lowercase c Christians just an example just a real simple example from from recently right the world hates jesus and the world will hate the church when the church speaks against the sin going on in the world unless we ignore our own lives we dare not we had better take the word of god and examine our own hearts lest there be any sin in us that we need to repent of and turn from and get right with God so that the world has no ammunition to call us call us names and to say that, that we're two-faced when we, when we call the world on sin when we point to the sin in the world Jesus called sinners to repent of their sin. You see, that's the point of pointing to the sin of the world and saying, no, that's not God-honoring. Let's not promote this in public. Let's not do this. Let's not teach this to our children. Let's not celebrate sin. That dishonors God. The point is, sinners need to be saved. The point isn't just ending the sin. It's it's pointing sinners to belief in Jesus Christ. It's pointing sinners to repentance of sin, being willing to turn from sin and to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus called sinners to repent. Believers, we ought to be calling people to repent. And we ought to be quick to repent ourselves when we sin. And it's almost impossible for us to go through a day when we don't sin. We still are fighting sin, aren't we? And so we need to be quick to repent, and that means we thank God for the forgiveness that's already ours in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are forgiven. It doesn't give you a license to sin, but it ought to make you quick to acknowledge that you sin and be right with God. And turn from that sin and ask for God's help. Asking for God to give you a will to say no to sin. Jesus called sinners to repent of their sin and to believe in Him alone so that they would have their sins forgiven. And when Jesus confronted sin, what happened when people were acting out was that conviction came. Conviction came and people acted out. People responded, many responded in anger and opposition to Jesus And speaking the name of Jesus today brings that same conviction of sin, that same kind of anger at times, and it also brings opposition. You see, the root of this anger, the root of this opposition to Jesus comes from Satan. So opposed to this idea of a need for repentance is is Satan, the deceiver, that he entices sinners to oppose Jesus the very one who would go to the cross. And if they would put their faith and trust in Him, He would pay for their sins on the cross. I want you to listen to Bible commentator and Bible teacher from many, many years ago. J.C. Ryle wrote of this, That, quoting J.C. Ryle, that in the face of such a passage as this, the one we're looking at today, The endless differences and divisions about religion, which we see on all sides in the present day, ought never to surprise us. The open hatred of some toward Christ, the carping, fault-finding, prejudiced spirit of others, the bold confession of the few faithful ones, the timid, man-fearing temperament of the many faithless ones, The unceasing war of words and strife of tongues with which the churches of Christ are so sadly familiar are only modern symptoms of an old disease. Such is the corruption of human nature that Christ is the cause of division among men. Whether he is preached, wherever he is preached, so long as the world stands, some, when they hear of him, will love and some will hate. Some will believe, and some will believe not. That deep prophetical saying of his will be continually verified from Matthew 10.34. Do not think that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. You see, the truth of the gospel divides. It offends it offends sinners who, who are convicted in their sin. And what God intends is for them to be convicted and to turn from their sin and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And yet many will turn away, even as J.C. Ryle says. This is still true today. You would think that he had written this recently, but this was a long time ago when he wrote this. The, the question for you is this, and here we are today, with God's Word in our hands, and we have a question to ask ourselves. The question for you is this. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? Will you too be afraid to name the name of Jesus? Will you too be afraid to speak openly of Jesus Christ? Unfortunately, J.C. Rao is right when he says, the bold confession of the few faithful ones the few faithful ones. There will be few who will boldly confess Jesus Christ. Will you be numbered among the few? He's right when he says, the timid, man-fearing temperament of the many faithless ones. You see, the challenge from the Word today when we see these people who are unbelievers, who are trying to decide about Jesus, and they're quieted because they don't want to be known publicly for speaking of Jesus... They don't have faith in Christ, but if you proclaim and profess to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you realize that what the Bible says is He pours His Spirit into you. He has given you His Spirit. And one of the reasons He has given you His Spirit is not only so that you can deal death blows to sin and temptation in your life, that's a major reason, but it's also so that He will equip you when the time comes for you to speak boldly of who Jesus is. So what do you think of Jesus? Will you too be afraid to name the name of Jesus? Will you too be afraid to speak openly of Jesus Christ when the opportunity comes for you to point to the truth of the gospel? Or will you too choose to live in silence as these unbelieving people did? The question for us is, will we choose to live in obedience to the Word of God? Will we take the, take the Word seriously? Will we take the Word of God and pour it into our hearts and minds and ask God by the work of the Spirit in us to help us change and to give us His holy boldness to live in obedience to His Word, come what may, no matter what the world around us does, that we are going to conform our lives to the Word of the Bible, the Word of truth, no matter what the culture does, no matter what laws are enacted? Or will you choose to live in obedience to the world or will you choose to live in silence? Will you live your life in such obedience to God's word that your life speaks clearly of Jesus? You see, the life of a believer in Jesus will speak in and of itself. It's not the only way it should speak. Our lips should also speak of Christ. We have opportunities to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. So will you speak openly of Jesus Christ to those who need to know of the faith that is in you, the belief in Jesus that is yours? Will you speak openly of faith in Christ and repentance of sin as the only hope for today and for all eternity? You see, that's what the world around us needs to hear. Political season, yes. seems like we'll always be in a political season. What the world desperately needs is the gospel. And they need to hear it from believers. May God's Word convict our hearts today. May God's Word cause us to believe in Jesus wholeheartedly, without shame, to speak of Jesus plainly. And may God's Word cause us to obey Jesus with conviction and boldness.